and welcome to Land Parties, episode 77 from the Las Vegas Review Journal. I am your host, Ryan Smith, and with me, as always, my esteemed co-host, Lucas Egg. And Lucas, first off, uh, uh, great episode last week. Again, I was out on vacation, so thank you for, for handling all that stuff. How was your week? How was your weekend? How you doing, brother? I am doing well. First, let me just say, thank goodness you're back. I'm sure our <laughs> listeners are excited. I attempted. I attempted your legendary send-off, but let's let's be honest. Nobody can, can touch you with that. <laughs> my weekend was good. Uh, a lot of time spent with my girlfriend and just uh, had some ribs, ha- spent some time together, stayed cool because it's getting ridiculously hot here again and yep. i'm just trying not to burn up how was your weekend ryan dude it was fantastic like i was saying i was out last week i went this is the first time i did any like major traveling i went down to mexico um my old roommate my college roommate got married so you know absolutely gorgeous we went and checked out some uh mayan ruins um did some under underground cave swimming uh, all out gorgeous fantastic the girls couldn't come with me so it was just me oh no um but that was it was still legit uh had a couple of days where it was just room service in bed all day um i had no complaints on my end and then obviously we we celebrated the fourth this past weekend so fireworks food friends fun it was fantastic uh no no complaints on my end however enough about us we have an amazing guest on today creator of doki doki literature club dan salvato dan thank you so much for coming on how you doing how was your weekend thank you for having me as well um my weekend was i mean are you asking me to top the Mayan ruins? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you should have asked me first. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I had, you know, it was it was fine. It was, you know, just a typical. We went to a local park. There were some food trucks, some fireworks. So, so it was overall nice. Nice, nice. Good to hear. Uh, of course, before we get into Doki Doki and talking with Dan, uh, there's a couple of topics today. I'm gonna let Lucas kick it off though, because I know this is this is something that he's been talking about for a little bit now. Yeah, finally, after so many rumors and reports and false starts, it seems like we have a new Nintendo Switch model, which. If you judge by the internet, <laughs> not a lot of enthusiasm I'm, I'm sensing from a lot of people. It has an OLED screen. It's a little bit bigger. Uh, it, the kickstand has more angles. And the dock has a LAN port. And that's all we know. I think that's about it. Uh, <laughs> look, <laughs> we knew a new Switch model was coming, but... I think what the internet wanted, I think it's pretty safe to say, was a, a, a more powerful Switch. And I don't know that we're getting that. And this seems like a Switch that if you play mostly handheld, you'll probably enjoy this a lot more than if you play mostly docked. And so, uh, I don't know. This is a wait and see for me. This is a wait and see. I, I thought I would be in kind of the day one camp but uh, I'm not sure right now. I'm not sure for for three fifty. 
I don't know that it's, it's enough of an upgrade, uh, especially if we're not traveling around as usual. You know, when when mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, my Switch went everywhere with me. So I could see the benefits of an OLED screen in a scenario like that. But mm-hmm. if we're not going to be back to normal like that by release, uh, I, I probably will just wait and, and hope it goes on sale someday. Yeah, no, and, and I think you're, you you hit the nail on the head there, is that the internet expected one thing, but this has always been what Nintendo, and, I, and it kind of makes more sense now why there was no, like, E3 reveal or anything like that. They realize that it's not a big jump, especially for people that currently own a Switch, um, but again, they're still selling like hotcakes. So now you're bringing something that, and, and it's bringing features that I, I'm glad to see having the land port on the dock, uh, which we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. I hope they sell the dock separately, uh, as well for those that already have a switch. Um, you know, the, the kickstand for, for those that have kids, that's going to be huge. I no longer have a kickstand because somebody in the other room, uh, broke mine. However, uh, you know, um, and then obviously with the screen. So I, I think, you know, it's like, it, I definitely feel disappointed in it because I think everyone was like, oh, you gotta have 4k at least. And they up it and stuff like that. But, you know, again, I, I think that, uh, for Nintendo is just, you know, bringing some features that, that they've wanted to bring in. Uh, and it gives people the opportunity still to, you know, that don't currently have one to be able to go ahead and get a different, different version, which is going to make switches, uh, all around more available, uh, as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm disappointed. And you, and I think you pointed out something interesting too, that, um, you know, it, it, it's launched or it's release launch, which is right by my birthday, by the way. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, <laughs> it's going to be Metroid prime instead of something Zelda related. I, I just feel like there's kind of an underwhelming celebration for its anniversary, um, I expected a lot more, I guess, uh, from the anniversary and maybe them, them doing something like that. But, I mean, you never know either. They're, they 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 always have stuff up their sleeves and, you know, they don't follow the rules that other consoles, I feel, follow. Nintendo uh, marches at the beat of their own drum and, you know, they do what they want and they do it well. So, uh, you know, I, I think this is good overall. What what are your thoughts on this day? And I know you, you're a Nintendo player as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, real quick, did you happen to uh, to read any press release or anything like that, or did you just watch this video? I just watched it right before the podcast, so I just watched the video. I, okay. I read a little article on it on like some of the features and stuff like that, but I haven't like did like a deep dive yet. Right, right. Yeah, I was just curious because sometimes uh, the the messages they choose to focus on in the marketing, uh, they sometimes intentionally forego some of the features mm. that they. Uh, don't want to highlight such as to accidentally mislead people into thinking that the system, you know, might be, might do more than it does, for instance. So, mm-hmm. f- for example, probably not the case, but maybe technically, for instance, the screen could be 1080p instead of 720p, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and maybe, maybe there could be an option for developers to support like a 1080p screen in handheld mode. Maybe. Uh, I'm just saying as an example, uh, that could it, it could be theoretically possible that there are some other features or improvements like that that they have just chosen not to highlight because they don't want people to mistake this for a Switch Pro as the rumors have been calling it for for the past you know at least a year now. 
um, which, which by the way, I think it was smart that they call it the Switch OLED model just to absolutely <laughs> make sure, you know, um, and not the Switch Pro, and and not the new Nintendo Switch either. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> which they haven't forgotten that entirely because we got new Pokemon Snap. So right. I'm really glad that they didn't go with new Nintendo Switch, you know, or the the new Nintendo Switch XL because it has a bigger screen. I don't know, right. man. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think overall, like I'm, I'm happy to see this join the lineup. Nintendo decided it's not yet the time to upgrade their hardware. Um, so kind of a bummer because we were seeing a lot of games push right up against the limits of the Switch's hardware capabilities, but, um, it can be a tough decision for these platforms to make because, right. you know, it's, it's not as simple as upgrading a PC when you bump the hardware, you're asking every single developer to support, uh, the new hardware in some way getting them in to like showcase the new features. Um, then you have to worry about backwards compatibility and how to handle your old library. Are you going to upgrade them, enhance them to take advantage of the new hardware? There's a lot that goes on there. So, you know, if Nintendo decided that now is not the time, then, and maybe, you know, a couple of years from now will be the time, maybe with Breath of the Wild 2, I don't know. Um, that's fine. You know, I, I feel okay about that. I'm, I'm happy enough with the Switch as it is. It still has some incredible games. This year's lineup is absolutely nuts for the Switch. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have all that much to complain about. The one other thing um, is uh, you mentioned the dock and are hoping that they would, you know, sell it separately. I hope that too. Mm-hmm. I need another dock anyway. I was wondering actually if this, if this, um, this dock for the Switch uh, OLED model is actually physically compatible with older Switches. I think it is. Ooh. I'm assuming they kept the same uh, layout for the console to make sure accessories would remain compatible, you know? Right. Um, so so from what I understand, it's the, the size of the Switch itself is the same. Uh, they just decrease the borders, the bezels of the screen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so it probably will be compatible. And yeah, I would, I would definitely pick up that, that new dock uh, if that were the case. Uh, the LAN port. I'm really happy about that. I, I play the Switch docked basically exclusively. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and so I have to, I, I try to connect it into LAN whenever possible. Part of me is thinking, did Nintendo do this for us or did they did it for themselves? Because they know <laughs> the, the state of their online service and they're just... I, I, I can bet you anything that they're kicking themselves that they didn't include this on, on the 2017 Switch because it's right. so hard to convince people to... Uh, yeah, to use to use wired Ethernet, even if it's sitting right there and they have a router right next to them, you know, asking them to buy the USB dongle uh, is 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 a pretty a pretty big ask. And so that's, you know, I think that has collectively just uh, hurt the overall online experience. And so, yeah, it's it's really welcome. And I'm going to love having a physical LAN cable. But the mass adoption, I think, is going to be the more important one there, or at least the adoption within your friend group. You know, if you have friends right. you play Smash with, making sure that everyone gets the LAN cable, that's what'll make the big difference. I will say this. I'm gonna I'm gonna double down, Ryan, in an earlier prediction. Since this is not the Switch Pro, <laughs> I still think I still think Switch Pro launching with a mix of Breath of the Wild and Metroid Prime 4 still gonna happen. I was just a year off. It's gonna happen holiday twenty-two. <laughs> book it book it i could see that i could see that it's just like kind of like that that intermission that and really you know i dan i think you're absolutely correct you know as far as with the uh 
just them and online. I think they want to and need to be able to have this for a more stable um, uh, multiplayer experience for people. A ton of people have this, but the fact that everybody's on Wi-Fi and who knows what people are getting, it just makes the experience, um, you know, a little a little lacking, uh, you know, something left to be desired. So having that, that, uh, uh, land port is absolutely huge. Cause I, I'm the same way. It's like, it sits in our living room and, you know, I'd have a land right there and, and boom, good to go. So we'll see what they do. But I mean, again, this isn't, this isn't a bad thing. Um, I just, you know, again, this is only going to bring more people I feel into their ecosystem. And then hopefully they make this dock available for those that already get it, because I can't imagine they expect a lot of sales coming from people that already own, uh, uh, a, a switch. Cause there's just not enough changes to, at least for me personally, to be able to justify going out and, and getting another one, but I would absolutely get that dock just for that land port. So, Oh, also too, there was a, uh, uh, an update, I think that came out today, 12.01 or something that now will allow, uh, uh, you to in or, or update games. If, even if you don't have enough space, uh, on your thing, which is fantastic. Uh, because I have run into that issue so many times and that is so annoying. It's just like, yeah, of course I don't have the space, but can't you <laughs> shift that around a little bit so I can get this update so I can play? Like, come on. <laughs> it's definitely a welcome feature to have. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I was thinking that this new Switch model, um, I mean, from a technical standpoint, I think there's a non-zero chance. I don't know yet, but it's mm-hmm. what, especially like, you know, a lot of the homebrew community is going to want to know, does this have the same NVIDIA chipset as the previous Switch model? It probably does, but maybe not. And the reason I say that is if, if Nintendo, if there is basically 100% compatibility between NVIDIA's new chipsets and their old ones, but the mm-hmm. new ones run more efficiently and you get better battery life, um, you don't have to run that fan as much, then there mm-hmm. is really strong incentive uh, for Nintendo to jump, you know, a year or two years, you know, a couple generations ahead in the NVIDIA chipset early uh, if that efficiency is going to make a huge difference in handheld mode, especially with the larger OLED screen. Not sure how the battery suckage compares on that screen compared to the old one, but <laughs> if, um, yeah, if they can get more efficiency out of a, a newer chipset, then they might actually opt to use that as opposed to, like, unlocking its its extra power capabilities, for instance, but you know the homebrewers are going to do that uh, if that's the case. So that's something to, you know, if you're into that, something to possibly get excited about. If not, then you can get excited about maybe there being more efficiency, uh, less less running fan when it's docked or better battery life or something like that. Just speculation, but it's possible. Yeah, I'm going to have to dig into those notes too because I know I didn't see anything about any anything changing as far as with that. But again, like you were saying, it could be something that, you know, we just decided not to market it. Um but I feel like that would be something they would market, but who knows? Yeah. We're going to have to dive in and look at those notes for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I'd love to see something like that too. Um, but shifting gears uh, real quickly, I just, I, and, and for me, this is a lot cause I absolutely love Kojima. Um, but recently he is, he has been, and I, I believe they've been talking for some time now, uh, but him and Xbox, have recently signed a letter of intent for a a future game that is, you know, who knows what they're going to do. I think this is fantastic. I know now, too, from just from this 
like being said, PlayStation fans are in an uproar uh, as far as Kojima working with with Xbox, which again, to me, seems so foolish. I feel like we're well beyond console wars. I just want games. I don't care where I get the games from. I don't care how I play them. I just want to be able to play them. So the fact that, you know what I mean, like him going and, and doing something for Xbox, again, we can get something completely different and new. And and to me, it's really exciting. Again, this is only a letter of intent. So this isn't even like a you know a formal, formal thing. This is a kind of a like, yes, we are we are saying that we are in talks of possibly uh uh, uh, developing a game uh, over there for Xbox. Not only that, but now we're talking about also getting some more resources uh, just from from Microsoft and all them for for Kojima, Kojima to go out and and really develop something. You know that that man's mind works very differently. Uh, I feel <laughs> than other people's, and he creates absolutely stunning, stunning uh, stories and and things like that. So. To me, this is a good thing. Uh, I, I would love to see, you know, what they come up with. And I know the other factor as part of this, too, is I believe it's being developed for their cloud gaming as well. Uh, it, you know, I I haven't personally had a chance uh, to utilize their, their cloud gaming. I hear it's pretty solid, but... I feel like, you know, again, these are just these these steps moving forward and positioning. And I and 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 I can't like Microsoft and Xbox, like they've been they've just been hitting banger after banger after banger, making those moves and and positioning them themselves, I feel, uh, for the future of what gaming is going to be. Uh so this is, you know. We'll see. I, I would love to to see what he can do uh, over there again. I have Game Pass, so I'm not worried about it. He could be all PlayStation. <laughs> he could be all. I, I got him. I got them all. So, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this, man? Yeah, you know, one of my dreams as a gamer is to somehow be a fly on the wall during a Kojima pitch meeting. I just want to hear yes. him like flesh out an idea to somebody. And I just want to see everybody else's reactions to some of these <laughs> ridiculous ideas that he comes up with. But no, this, this is obviously another uh, great development for Microsoft. And like that, that man will give you a unique and out there and probably you know a, a game that's gonna uh inspire a lot of discussion a lot of opinions but you know i'm up for it like let's see what he can do next like it's it's always a treat to see what he has planned going forward so hey let's do it man i just want to see him make more games i don't care where it's at i just want to see him make more games and if Microsoft uh, is is the place for his next game, let's do it. I, I was thinking about what you mentioned about, you know, us being kind of past the console wars at this point. It's true. The console wars probably kind of peaked around the, you know, the Gen 7, 2006 generation mm -hmm. uh, of consoles. Um, but I can understand why it would sting for uh, lifetime PlayStation fans having Kojima as part of their exclusives lineup for generation after generation and right. having that feel threatened all of a sudden. Um, I know what it's like to, you know, be a fanboy for one specific console and, and all the exclusives that that console comes with. And, um, you know, even, even, even though Nintendo creates their own first party games, I imagine that this could very much feel like, and I was a little too young for this, but for people who are older, the feeling of rare leaving Nintendo for Microsoft mm -hmm. Uh, around the early days of of, of uh, GameCube and Xbox, 
that probably really, really sucked after a ridiculously amazing lineup of rare <laughs> games for N64, you know, easily just always head to head with Nintendo's top games on that console. And then all of a sudden they just, uh, they just peace out and, you know, you're not going to uh, get anything like that from them uh, after that. So that might be kind of what it feels like for Sony fans at this point. And oftentimes you're just buying into a console because you love the ecosystem. All of your friends are on that console. You love the exclusives. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there are some people who aren't going to want to buy an Xbox just to play Kojima's game. They're going to wish that they could, but that's not going to be enough for them to drop the money for it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I can totally understand that perspective as well. Um, so I think it's, I always feel excited to see something new for Kojima and for him to be enabled, uh, you know, by a major studio in order to produce a new yeah. project. So that's the most exciting thing. Um, and so, yeah, the, the optimist to me, like I mostly feel excited about it as well. Um, just to hear anything about like Kojima, you know, being enabled to do something new is, is always really exciting. Yeah, I agree. And not only that, but this also opens up the way for, Hey, uh, could this, whatever he develops, is this going to be a day one game pass? They've been pushing Game Pass hard. Because I'm the same way. Like, I've never owned an Xbox in my life. Um, however, I do have Game Pass, which is now giving me the ability to go back and, like, play Halo. I'm, I'm working through the Halo series and stuff like that. And, like, some of those exclusives that I never was able to justify getting the console. Uh, but, again, I'm a, I, I, I've always been a, I've been a PlayStation snob for years. So it's only been more recently that I'm like, oh, let me open up to the world. And there's so many other places you can play games and, you know, things like that. So it's like, yeah, and I'm, I'm very much in the same boat as you. It's like I'm excited to see any kind of project. That dude's got his name on. I know there's going to be a banging story uh, attached to it. But again, it could it could also be an opportunity for him to go completely outside the box and, and try something new. I mean, we saw with Death Stranding, literally, you know, it is like for the longest time. And I, I got to tell you, I still haven't finished that game. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I just, and I know it's, I, I know it's got to be like, and I was enjoying the story. It's just literally taking like the worst part of games and making a game out of it. Uh, just going around <laughs> delivering stuff. Just like, man. Uh, but I'm going to do it. I, I, I got to finish Metal Gear Solid 5 first. And I'm close. I'm real close on that. Um, but, you know, just, just to have it, it's exciting to see him uh, and knowing that he's going to be working on something new in the future, uh, getting those resources from Microsoft and the things that they're doing and whatnot. Excuse me. Like I said, they are they are. I feel really moving. I, I feel like they are they are very much future thinking as far as where they think games are going and what they're trying to do. Now, what they need to do as a company, and they have very ambitious uh, plans as far as uh, trying to deliver a new game. Uh, was it was it every quarter or every month? I think it was uh, every quarter. Uh, looking to to be able to do that, so I think that's a very ambitious goal to set. But I'd love to see that because I feel like that's where where Xbox has really lacked is having those those first party games that make you be like, you know, I gotta, I have to have this console or I have to be in this ecosystem because this game is straight fire. So 
we'll see what they do. It is exciting. I mean, again, you can't go wrong with that. The, the man, the man makes hits. So seeing those two team up would be fantastic. Um, but I'm not personally mad at it again, cause I'm in that, but I can see, and I do understand uh, where that would be upsetting uh, for especially for PlayStation owners to to it's like almost like your your heart gets ripped out a little bit. It's like no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think um I think my final thought of on it is that um it is always worth celebrating when someone like Kojima is handed a huge budget by a AAA studio to do whatever he wants. As somebody who it doesn't matter if Death Stranding got a mixed response and a lot of people didn't like it. The fact that you have such a massive uh, public figure in the gaming community with incredible track record uh, choosing to take these incredible risks in the gaming space at the AAA level, I always want to see more of that. You know, mm-hmm. breaking conventions, trying new things, uh, using game mechanics or types of storytelling or anything that is that any a big, you know, EA type publisher would write off as, as um, like, no, that's not where the money is. That's too, that's mm-hmm. too risky. People like, it's not going to sell well. Enabling somebody to, to attempt those things on, on a major budget uh, is, is so exciting. And that is where we see a lot of opportunity to invent a new genre or push the industry as a whole in a new and interesting way. And I think that's what people really recognize in Konjima, not just because of his like previous uh, big money makers and 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 his track record but but the fact that he is you know willing and completely committed to trying to create these brand new gaming experiences so that could have been what microsoft has seen and they're deciding to put a lot of money into it because they know that there could be you know a, a massive hit that makes the xbox a, a huge center of attention for some breakthrough in the gaming industry it's entirely possible um so just wanted to mention that as someone who has also, you know, in a much smaller scale than trying to break certain conventions and games. It's so exciting to see, you know, somebody as, as massive as Kojima uh, be enabled to do this time and time again. Absolutely. And that is a perfect segue. Uh, we're going to take a short commercial break. Then we're coming back t- talking about uh, breaking conventions. We're going to talk about Doki Doki Club and speak with Dan. We'll be right back, guys. If you love listening to us here on Land Parties, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On, and on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team or game, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join.
Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening to those short messages. And now comes the real fun part of the interview. And before we get going, Dan, I just have to say that Doki Doki was one of the first games that my girlfriend and I really just got obsessed with together. And I don't know what that says about our relationship, but it was, uh, <laughs> you know, it was it, it, it was such an intense and and twisty and turny experience like it we still talk about it to this day so we're we're thrilled that doki doki literature club plus has come out on the ps4 ps5 and the switch so congratulations on the launch of that to start um take me take us back to when this new version started to pop into your mind and how it came to be and why you wanted to bring it to uh, home consoles here. Well, first of all, thanks so much for the kind words. And I'm really glad to hear that you had a positive experience uh, with the game back a few years ago. Um, I think that there were, there were um, a few reasons we wanted to bring it to consoles. The, the first one being that um, we just, you know, we want the chance to make the game as accessible as possible. Um, PC is uh, a very small portion of the games industry as a whole. Um, and, you know, we we feel very strongly about um, about what we're doing. And we uh, just want to give people a chance to uh, experience it on, on whatever platform that they have. Uh, we heard so many people who are experiencing DDLC through youtube and and twitch and have wanted to play it themselves for so long but they maybe don't have a pc platform they can play it on um or they're just primarily a console gamer so they haven't uh taken the plunge because they don't normally play games on pc um and so it's a natural thing to uh to want to do of course along with that we understood right from the get-go and uh you know maybe it's why it, you know it took a couple of years before we started really strongly you know taking taking the plunge into it um there are a number of technical challenges uh, in doing that as well, um, both in the narrative end uh, of it, because you know the game has some kind of PC specific mechanics, but but also uh, from the technical end, you know, porting the game over to consoles. So um, it took a while to get to that point, but it prompted some really important questions to us about you know kind of what the essence of the game. Uh, is about and how we can translate that to, to consoles in, in an effective way. Um, and it sort of forced us to be creative in various new areas as well with DDLC plus that enabled us to add a whole bunch of new cool stuff into the game, which I can't entirely go into detail about, but it was really fun to just deeply think about these questions and decide, you know, on this completely different platform, how can we create this, kind of unique out of the box experience that isn't going to be identical to what it was on PC, but it's still going to be very cool and different from uh, what you see in other console games. When you revisit a project like that, I mean, obviously it, it blew up on PC and, and for good reason. So when you come back a couple years later and you, and you revisit it, revisit it, does it change how you view that project with the benefit of some time of feedback of, of players reactions and all that? And, and, how does that shape, if it did at all, this new experience and some of the new content? DDLC has always been a story about um, the player's relationship with fiction. Mm -hmm. That was the that was the number one inspiration for DDLC. Um, the observation that um, you know different players or audiences of media in general have different types of relationship uh, with with that media or the fictional characters. 
Um, this goes back to, you know, when I was younger, when my friends and I played like the Sims and animal crossing, you know, back when we were like, like really young, um, you know, some of us like took those worlds so seriously and like really wanted the best for the, the characters in these worlds and others like they, you know, they took pleasure in trying to push the boundaries of those worlds, you know, and seeing like, how can I get this character to respond in a certain way? You know, like what's a funny situation I can put them in and almost treating them like, like, you know, toys for amusement. And there's this really interesting dichotomy between those two groups. Um, and that's really, I think, what DDLC tries to play with as a concept. The thing that changed over the couple of years that the game had been out was um, the observable connection between the players and the characters in the game. Um, you know, there are most of the characters in DDLC. Um, have uh, some kind of deep and relatable themes um, and traits attached to that character um, that are relevant to mental mental health or uh, struggles that you know a lot of people go through on a daily basis, and a lot of people really connected to those characters, d- despite it being such like this wild and exaggerated, extremely fictional game. Uh, these traits really stuck out, and when they are emotionally charged through this disturbing content, they feel a strong connection to these characters. And um, that became just more and more observable over time as we saw the community grow and as we had outreach about people's you know, very personal experiences with this game. And so um, really interestingly, and maybe a little bit ironically, these characters outside of the game itself sort of matured in a way. Um, the public perception of these characters changed very much. They were sort of designed in-game to um, exemplify these really one-dimensional, exaggerated, you know, dating sim character tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But those aren't the traits that people really latched onto and related to, of course, because they they were not designed to be that way. Uh, they related to the extremely relatable and human traits that these characters uh, expressed beneath those tropes. And those are ultimately what became the face of the characters uh, to the public over the next couple of years. And uh, that was really inspiring. And through that new public perception of the characters, um, you know, I think that's largely what inspired me to write the side stories, which was to, you know, take these characters as very dynamic and relatable human beings and put them through real challenges and social conflicts uh, where they have to, you know, overcome their differences, um, learn communication skills, um, and uh, reflect on themselves, uh, among other, you know, very real challenges to overcome in order to strengthen their bond with each other and improve their friendship. Um, So, you know, kind of a long-winded answer, but, you know, I think it was a very interesting question. That's sort of how the perception changed of the game and characters over time and ultimately what inspired uh, a lot of the creation of the new content. And I'm really happy to be able to deliver those really personal and relatable messages to uh, people who have found such a strong connection with the characters. And and speaking of non-conventional, I mean, just at a surface level, you see this art style, the music, but the meat of the actual game and the the horror aspects of it. And it's so like the juxtaposition of the two. It's so intriguing. Um, what you know? How was it like, you know, developing the game? How did that come to be that, that, that 
pull and, and tug and just that creation of that that style. That was really the goal from the very beginning to take this, you know, extremely exaggerated, overly cutesy genre that most people just literally do not take seriously in any way and you know do something to turn it on its head you know create a disturbing psychological horror experience out of it i think that um that ties in really closely with the themes of the game that i was talking about our relationship with fiction because this Mm -hmm. is a game where this game is not designed explicitly for people who are really into anime or dating sims for instance you know this game Mm -hmm. is inviting people to make fun of it it's inviting people to not take it seriously through these exaggerated tropes and i think that is largely um why the game was able to increase in popularity because um so many people who aren't playing dating sims or visual novels in general are are picking up this game because uh it's it's enticing you to not take it seriously and that's already kind of in the headspace they're in. That is Western anime culture in general. If you like anime, you're making fun of it. And if you don't like anime, you're making fun of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know. And, and and so that was really like the inspiration of the atmosphere of this game was not was not anime and dating sims itself, but it was Western anime culture and an understanding of this self-awareness and people's desire to make fun of these tropes um for how like exaggerated and i don't know sometimes shallow that they are um so that's really that was really uh the biggest inspiration of the game it was kind of an understanding of western anime culture and a uh uh kind of a exploration of of, of that space you know and the the visual novel style is is perfect was there was there ever a consideration to not do it as a visual novel? Was there an uh, a pathway early on that you were considering to do an, in, in a uh, different style of game? DDLC is a visual novel because I wanted to make visual novels. Um, that's, <laughs> that's that's the reason. Uh-huh. I I played visual novels. Um, you know, my first one was Tsukihime, uh, which mm-hmm. was Tight Moon's first work before they did Fate Stay Night and the whole Fate universe. Um, and it was, as my first visual novel, it was such an emotionally powerful experience for me. This, such a character driven story that I'm still a part of in some way, um, that I, uh, the, the genre as a whole became really special to me. And I, I was, um, kind of inspired to, you know, start, you know, thinking about making my own visual novels and asking myself how I can deliver this to other people. Uh, this this you know really personal experience so that's really where it came from and the reason that i went with ddlc because i, I had a couple ideas for visual novels at the time the reason i went for ddlc was one it was a smaller and more manageable project to take on because uh, you know the the finish line was was kind of in sight from the beginning it was it was mm-hmm. you know overall a pretty small project as far as visual novels go but also I saw an opportunity to reach out to people who don't normally play visual novels and help them understand the emotional power that this genre can have. Um, and so that was really a goal from the beginning was to help help demonstrate uh, what visual novels and interactive fiction as a whole uh, is capable of. You know, and as this game 
started to blow up there i mean at, at what point did you start to realize i mean I, I know that every every creator wants to create pieces of work that connects with an audience was there a stretch of time where you started to realize that this was starting to connect an audience on a much bigger scale than a lot of games are, are able to hit i think i think that started to happen pretty early on um i really did not know what to expect at all when i released the game you know it, mm. it was one of those things where i put you know a lot of a lot of components that that mean a lot to me personally into this game and i had no idea if or how much it would you know connect with other players if they had some of these similar relatable experiences if they were looking to get similar things out of games that i was um yeah and i think early on it was you know i heard you know i heard people were having a really good time with the game of course they were like oh you know it scared the crap out of me like it was a wild ride all of that um and it was you know i probably around you know a month after its release after you know a small community started being built around the game that people were really starting to voice um how much certain components of the game meant to them personally and i was um it was i it was it was just i don't know the the greatest compliment to me at the time i like i was just floored that people were having you know, such a, a great personal experience with the game. And I was, I felt so grateful and fulfilled that I could share these things with other people. It was, it was such a meaningful time for me to, to see that start to happen and be able to um, connect with, with these other, these other gamers in this way. Um, you know, it, it feels like I'm communicating with them. You know, that's what I like to see fiction as. It's almost a type of communication. Um, these very personal emotions and messages that, um, you're not always, you know, expressing with literal language and out loud to other people. I get to reach out and, and, you know, create, create a bond with these players, um, um, through the messaging in this game. And I really started to feel that. And it was, you know, I think as special for me as it was for some of these players who had a really good experience with the game. And I've got to ask too, cause that's kind of, that's how I first heard the game was, uh, uh, streamer friends. I saw people streaming the game, uh, you know, so it's like, it's, it's, it's crazy because you're right. It's like it's a game and surface level. You're just like, ah, it's like that's not, you know, not really up my alley. But it's like there's so much more to the game. Thinking future wise, I know and I know people were talking about it. I, do you have any plans to do like a sequel or to, you know, even even you said you got a chance to do some side stories and stuff like that. And plus, uh, do you plan on expanding on that, expanding on the characters and expanding on the story? DDLC itself is a complete story start to finish. Um, I had decided early on that there wasn't room for a literal sequel and, mm -hmm. and I still feel that way. Um, I think that DDLC, um, what's the best way to put it? It, it dealt out the whole deck of cards already, you know, mm -hmm. both in the, the type of horror that it does and the way that the story, the way that the story ends, um, it's, it's not the same to reshuffle and start dealing again. Um, right. Yeah. To try to invent something new with that same sort of material. I think that, um, I think that because of that, um, if there is, you know, if there are new things happening with DDLC, such as the side stories, then uh, I'm looking for new opportunities to explore the characters and, and the universe in interesting ways. DDLC plus does some of that in, 
the lore, I guess you could say, things that, you know, since the game was only released recently, I, w I don't want to go into too much detail about. Um, but, you know, I think what DDLC has really become about is the really relatable personal qualities of these characters. Um, and, you know, kind of the philosophical questions surrounding this universe and, and the lore uh, that goes into it. Of course, it's still about the original you know psychological horror experience that the game is but what i mean is that like with ddlc plus as well as potentially looking forward that's that's kind of uh what i have in mind as far as ddlc goes i'm not going to try to replicate what ddlc already did with more ddlc that's that's not on the radar right now speaking of the lore part of of what's been fun for for i know my girlfriend and, and myself over the past few years is just following all the fan theories getting on message message boards reddit all that good stuff do you do you pay attention to to that kind of stuff and are any of them like anywhere close to like what's what's canon in your head <laughs> um you know i i I do pay attention to those things because I think, I think it's important to do so, um, largely because it would suck to accidentally confirm something before we're ready to confirm it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. um, or, or to have the community accidentally confirm something that's actually not being confirmed. You know, um, mm -hmm. so speculation is always great and it's a ton of fun. Um, but yeah, I pay attention to it to make sure that like the, you know, I, I care so much about um, kind of tempering expectations and, you know, on top of like all this cryptic speculation stuff, I also like being transparent about what we're doing as a company and like the, the spots that we're in and, you know, what we're struggling with um, to make sure that we maintain that strong relationship with the community. We can, you know, keep expectations under control. People know what we're up to mm -hmm. and that we're not like some you know, like some untouchable, like super genius who's creating these, you know, um, we're, we're still, we're still creating experiences that are within reality and within the, the capability of like what our brains are coming up with on, uh, on a small budget, you know, you know, one, and one of the things that, that I, I am definitely thankful for is that when we discovered the game, uh, pretty close after launch, you know, there, there wasn't much out there to spoil it. It was just, play it and experience it is what we were told basically you know obviously you're in a much different spot um a good spot it's a good issue to have just because of the popularity and the connection <laughs> but for new players coming in obviously they're coming in in a much different world uh there's been a set of players that have experienced already i know that in advertising they do play up the the horror part to make sure that people know you know that there's a, a different side than what's on the surface is there a way or how much information you think players should have going in or and like how how much they should try and insulate themselves if they're experiencing it for the first time i think it's worth knowing that ddlc is a psychological horror game mm -hmm. um mm. That, that's something that like I, I was asked about this when we started marketing ddlc plus you know as as you mentioned it's kind of a forefront message that it's a psychological horror game um mm -hmm. people were saying like doesn't this ruin the experience of the game and I'm like, like, no, this game, the merit of this game is not tricking you into playing a horror <laughs> game. You know what I mean? Like, but a lot of, you know, even like media outlets kind of mistook that because they just, they went into the game's trailer, they read the YouTube comments and there's comments like, you know, 
you know, I went in for the cute girls and I got depression instead, stuff like that. <laughs> and it's like, it's like those, those are jokes, guys. People, people aren't actually, you know, that uh, naive about this game. It's very, very upfront that it has just highly disturbing content, that it's a psychological horror game and that, um, and that the draw of this game is that, you know, as people say, it's, it's, it's short uh, and it's, it's very scary and, and you're in for a wild ride, basically. Um, people, people already know that about the game. And so now that, um, you know, now that DDLC Plus is, is not a free game, it's $15 digitally, um, we wanted to ensure that in, in, in the marketing that that draw is understood it's not tricking people into thinking that it's horror, but it's delivering this message that it's a horror game and making people ask, how the heck is this game possibly scary? Like, what is in store for me? Mm-hmm. Am I supposed to be um, taking taking this trailer seriously at all? How seriously am I supposed to be taking it? It's kind of like this weird, you know, teetering back and forth between like kind of taking it seriously, but also like not taking it seriously, that sort of you know, false sense of security and being unsure right. of or forgetting what the game is actually about. That's really what this game is going for. And I think, you know, being upfront about the fact that it's a psychological horror game doesn't possibly give away uh, what you're in store for when you actually play the game. Uh, and therefore the experience is, you know, going to be going to be equally great anyway. See, and that's it. And I love the fact that it's now available on consoles and stuff like that, because I couldn't get my girlfriend to play on PC but we've got a PlayStation right in the bedroom. You best believe I'm going to get it so that I want to be able to experience that with her and stuff. I think it will be fantastic. Um, last question for me, you know, that, you know, this is all out there. What are, do you have any future plans? Is there anything that you're, you're working on or you guys are getting excited about? There are things that we're getting excited about internally. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is, um, you know, part of our core core values is that we, just we get really cool ideas and and we make them we make what we want to make um ddlc plus was a part of that you know we wouldn't have made it if we didn't have some incredibly cool ideas for it um that you know i'm really excited to now see in fruition i feel like uh we succeeded in in delivering the ideas that we were going for um and that's going to hold true for future team salvato projects basically Uh, we have some really cool ideas and we're really excited to uh get started on them um things that you know we're of course not able to talk about yet all the way up until you know we we announce we announce the titles but um yeah i can say that that internally we're you know it's a it's a really exciting time for us um not just with the release of ddlc plus but also that simultaneously getting the ball rolling on new projects as well that we're um having so much fun kind of planning out and and starting on the early stages so it's probably going to be a while, but you can probably already hear the excitement in my voice that I can't wait to <laughs> announce what we have coming up, however long from now, a couple of years or whatever it may be. Yeah, let me, let me pipe in with one more question here. You know, it's it's such a, a great moment to to introduce your the story to a, a new base of fans here. What do you hope are the types of conversations they're having after they, they experience this game? And, you know, you set yourself, there's, there's some, some, the psychological horror elements of that. When you were developing this game, what went into the decisions of what parts to include and, and 
how how were those discussions and in, in thinking about how that might affect gamers and how that might promote a discussion after it? The discussion comes from there. There are a, a couple of things that sort of prompt this discussion. One is the surface level kind of dating sim components of the game, especially for players that aren't already highly familiar with dating sims. They're going to be exposed to a lot of like tropes and scenarios that, um, that. I don't know, feel uncomfortable to certain people. Um, that might be the best way to put it. Just these weird kind of romantic or in some cases sexual tension scenarios that are just completely removed from reality and are like total fantasy fulfillment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. makes you ask like if you should be treating the characters in these games like real human beings and if you should be thinking about them in that regard. Um, and I think going into the psychological horror and when really serious things start to happen, that's really the concept that starts to be played with is, you know, how real are these characters to you? And um, and what is your level of personal attachment to them aside from just trying to romance them in the game or whatever it may be? And so this, uh, you know, this this sort of delivery of, of making the player think about their relationship with these characters and with fiction in general is, I think, really uh where the conversation can be um you know the game has some disturbing ways of making you think about that but i hope that for players who don't normally play these sorts of narrative games it can be an eye-opening experience for them they can learn a little bit about themselves um, and they can you know share their unique experiences with others and see how it may compare and learn about each other as well and and you know how much these fictional experiences mean to uh, mean to us how much we relate to the characters and you know, start to open up more conversations about, um, you know, mental health and how we can tend to our own needs and um, understand all of each other a little bit better and, you know, learn how to be good to each other. Absolutely. DDLC Plus available now everywhere. Uh, check it out, guys. Dan, again, thank you so much for taking the time and, and coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you as well. It was a lot of fun. You know, always excited to talk about new Nintendo stuff um, as, as well as DDLC. So, you know, you had a little bit of everything for me. So it was an absolute pleasure to be on. Awesome. Lucas, what do you got going on this weekend, my friend? Uh, so I'm I'm still spending some time with Scarlet Nexus, which really is mm -hmm. just like you're playing an anime. So it, it's pretty fun. Um, I'm enjoying that. Still chugging through the Mass Effect trilogy. And mm. uh, I'm also prepping uh, in a couple weeks to do a, a, a little self-promotion here, a session on Bright on uh, interviewing and booking guests. So if you guys follow me on Twitter, you'll see some more information about that. Now that that self-plug's out of the way, Ryan, what are you up to this weekend? <laughs> no, which is awesome, dude. I'm looking forward to checking that out as well. Um, same, I'm, I'm, you know, my de my normal uh, Destiny grind. Uh, as far as story games, I've got to finish Metal Gear Solid Five. We're close to the end on that, uh, so I'll be chugging through along that. But I haven't started anything major as of yet. I haven't even moved on to Mass Effect 2 because I want to go back and finish some side quests in Mass Effect 1 before be beating the game and then moving forward. So uh, pretty chill uh, uh, day for me. So not too much. But again, guys, thank you so much for taking your time and listening this week. Land Parties, don't forget to check us out on the tweeters at Land Parties Pod, at Lucas Egan, or at Smitty2447. We hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. And you know what it is. We love your faces. 